Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. And as usual, if you're checking out the screen, you can see that I have my uh, usual sidekick. Is that a good name for you, Boston? Sidekick? Anything that you want to call me just so that I can be on this show, that's all that matters. You just need to go sometimes like Ed McMahon we were talking about on Saturday. Sometimes you just got to go, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tim May. <laughs> most people, maybe most people watching this don't even know who Ed McMahon is, was, <laughs> et cetera. But I don't care. It's it's our show, right? Absolutely. Uh, hey, I mean, if, if I know it, I'm sure that most people know that one. Yeah, that's a good – oh, oh, there's another slam above Tim May right there, ladies and gentlemen. That was called a professional slam. Uh, shiv to the ribs. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Austin? Uh, things are heating up around the country. They're sort of on coming to a slow boil in Ohio State land. Uh, football-wise, we're going to talk about you know the comings and goings, et cetera, of Ohio State football practice. Uh, what what we can expect the next three weeks is a really zero win on that opener, October twenty-four, uh, against Nebraska when they finally get to play some football. And you know, you know, as, as all these fans out here all know, the Pac-12 has announced its grand return. November the 7th, you know, good luck with that, you know, wagon train ho. But uh, the bottom line is everybody's going to be playing by middle November. At least that's the plan unless COVID-19 sticks sticks, uh, sticks his, her. What would we call COVID-19? Would it be a his or a her? Yeah, I'm calling it it. It's okay, a COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah, unless COVID-19 sticks, sticks its big stick in the way of everybody and uh, really muddles the pot. And we're going to talk about, too, why couldn't the college football playoff uh, delay things a little bit. Why is it so sacrosanct in this era when nothing else really matters from a schedule standpoint? And uh, I'm going to bring that up to uh, Boston with uh, my good friend Bill Bender from the Sporting News. He's joining me here for a brief little assessment of what's going on across the nation, especially as the Big 12 backtracked into becoming the, uh, I don't know, I mean, wouldn't you rate the Sun Belt over the Big 12 right now? What do you think, Boston? Yeah, I think, you know, uh... It's hard not to at this point. Uh, they've got some pretty impressive wins. And I was thinking when you were talking about every league being ready to play by November, I was wondering when the, back, the Big 12 was actually going to start. I mean, maybe they won't even be playing in November if they're all out of the playoff contention. I mean, that is an absolute mess. And it's been hilarious to watch the last couple weeks. Um, I feel bad. I, I, I made this this joke. Like, um, you know, people were like, boy, there sure seems to be a lot of people – in Ohio watching Texas and Oklahoma games and like, of course there are, why wouldn't there be? Uh, and the beat writers don't have anything else to do. We were already done covering practice. We're going to go watch yeah. football and Tom Herman's down there. Alec Grinch is down there. Uh, Chris Ash is down there. Of course we were going to watch those guys. Yeah. I mean, and wow, you kind of turn your head away. Kind of like watching car crashes, actually, you know, you kind of want to see it and you kind of want, don't, don't, you know, at the same time, because those guys have a lineage that dates back to, Urban Meyer in Ohio State, and uh, man, they're just not getting it done at either place. Uh, let's just let's let's call it what it is, and it's really interesting. I mean, I think 
you know, if this was the British, uh, British Premier League, uh, uh, was it, is it BPL or EPL? Always get it mixed up. Yeah. Yeah. They, they would be really, really in jeopardy of, of, of uh, relegation, I do believe, and maybe bring up the Mountain West or something, right? Or the Sun Belt. What the heck, right? Hey, Louisiana or uh, in a couple of weeks, Wyoming and Boise State are going to be ready. Uh, hey. You always throw a Wyoming in there like uh, people care. But uh, I do care because I know you're from there. There it is, right there. But, but the bottom line is, yeah, I mean, uh, if, if, if it was, a, if it was a, in essence, an uh, equal rights world, uh, the Big 12 would be an afterthought right now. We would be talking about the Sun Belt Conference champion as possibly filling one of those college football playoff spots. Or Cincinnati. You know, yeah, or Cincinnati, exactly. AAC, it's time for the rise of the AAC. They can't even break the top 10, though, because, they, you know, the uh, poll voters keep shuffling the deck when it comes to favorite teams. At least Oklahoma finally fell out of the AP poll, I think, this week, right? I mean, Still they had to, right? Somehow. Well, there you go, because everybody knows they're better than what they've showed. But what does that mean? Right. <laughs> hey, we're going to come back and discuss it. I'm going to discuss a little bit of that with my with my good friend uh, Bill Bender. He's a nationally uh, recognized writer who covers college football for the Sporting News, who happens to live in Pickerington. Uh, not that not that it matters me having him on, on the show. That the proximity matters because you know we're doing this all by. Uh, <laughs> We're doing this all by Zoom anyway. He could live in uh, Morocco and still be on this show at this point. But, uh, you know, we're going to have uh, Bill Bender come on here for just a little while, and we're going to get back to you, Boston, and we're going to, like I said, chop up what Ohio State has to get done over the next three weeks and how they're going to kind of walk eggshells to a certain extent. But you can't really walk eggshells and practice football at the same time, right? Right. I'll all leave right. it at that. We'll be back, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back, ladies. Yes, you're right, sir. Uh, we'll be back, ladies and gentlemen, after this uh, little interlude with my friend, Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And as promised, ladies and gentlemen, a return, a return of Bill Bender to the Tim May Cop podcast. Bill, thanks for coming back on again, my man. Hey, Tim. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You know, and along with your handsome face, the main reason I have you on is because you have national insight like few others when it comes to college football in particular. And of course you, you do more than just college football for the sporting news. And, and uh, Austin Ward and I were, were talking about that very thing earlier about uh, just how, um, I don't know, uh, you're like a Swiss army knife, I think when it comes to covering football, <laughs> but, uh, but the bottom line is let's just talk college football real quick. Um, uh, is the big 12, is it in disguise right now? What, how would you describe what has happened to the big 12 over the first several weeks of this interesting season hard to watch 
Saturday was very hard to watch big, just the big 12 in general. And it started with Texas and TCU for anybody that watched that. You just saw penalty, penalty flag and it was disturbing. Like it's hard to watch that kind of stop and start brand of football. Texas makes way too many mistakes and it showed up at the end fittingly with a fumble. They lose to yeah. TCU again. And then what do we do with Oklahoma, Tim? I mean, that's back-to-back losses for the first time since 99. They're not going to the playoff. Some of the inexperience shows up on offense. The de- it's the same old questions, though. Defense, bad. Um, a little bit of an experience on the playmaker side, which that happens. And it's that Big 12-style question. And, the- and we're dealing with some former Ohio State assistants, so I would actually like to hear your take on it when you have guys like Grinch and Chris Ash and Tom Herman that are in the middle of that. Yeah, my take on it is Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, definitely um, the, the, the Great Wall of China wasn't built in a day. And uh, in some respects, they were trying to, they're trying to rebuild those walls. But uh, uh, I'm just giving them the benefit of the doubt. I, I, here's what I think. I mean, I, when I saw these odds come out before the season started, that Tom Herman was probably the number one guy on a hot seat in the Big 12, I kind of went, you know, well, what's that all about? Then I started, you know, because I like Tom. Then I started thinking about it, and I'm telling you what, his seat is very hot today. I mean, it's very hot. They escape Texas Tech, and then they get beat by by TCU. Um, they're an afterthought now when it comes to the college football playoff. I do believe. I think you might agree with me. I mean, you could make an argument that Kansas State's the best team in the Big Twelve right now, and then look who they got beat by in their opening in their opening week, and. Uh, I just think it's a dumpster fire. As, as I told Austin Ward, if this was the uh, the uh, British Premier League or English Premier League, they'd be uh, definitely that league would be uh, the Big Twelve would be in jeopardy of relegation. Agreed. Well, one of the big problems is Oklahoma and Texas are expected to carry that conference. Now we can sit here and debate whether a three and zero Oklahoma State team can get through and and win all their games, but I, I just don't see it happening. The problem is Oklahoma and Texas are probably close to as programs, Iowa State and Kansas State and Oklahoma State and TCU, yeah. that they are as being that, I, I like to call them that hammer at the top. The Big Ten yeah. has Ohio State. Uh, Clemson has AC, or, um, ACC has Clemson, or, the yeah. a, or Clemson has the ACC, however you want yeah. to put that. And yeah. the SEC has – what I've seen to this point without the Big Ten and Pac-12 being on the field, you could make the argument that the SEC has the three best teams in the country in Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Yeah, I, I like the way they've come out of the gate. I mean, you know, it's funny how people only, for, only remember certain things about certain situations that kind of benefit their argument. Yes, Georgia struggled for the first half and maybe the first half of the third quarter at Arkansas. Then it, as you, to use your term, lowered the hammer, you know, and uh, – since then, I think Georgia, I mean, that uh, Georgia-Auburn, that's a big-time, big-time Deep South football rivalry, the, the longest running in, in the Deep South. And uh, without a doubt, Georgia held sway against a top-10 team on Saturday. No, no questions asked. And Florida has looked extremely good, especially offensively. You know, if you can get the offense going, the defense can kind of catch up in certain situations. And I think we're seeing that with Alabama. I mean, Alabama – He's got some questions on defense. You may not agree with me. I definitely think that. But offensively, you know, Mac Jones kind of hit his stride on uh, on Saturday. And it looks like all is well with the Crimson Tide, especially in its passing game. I mean, 
yes, the world has flipped on its ear in the last couple of years with Alabama <laughs> joining the modern times of college football in the, in the way they approach offensively. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, uh, is there a team, though, that's catching your eye right now that you're, you know, that are teams that have played that you're thinking, hey, I, I better keep my eye on these guys? I guess in the ACC you could look at North Carolina, even though they haven't really played great. You wonder if they're good enough to challenge Clemson. Miami, we're going to find out this week. And I, yep. you know, I've been, I tell people I have a nine year old kid and explaining him that Miami was good and it hasn't happened in his lifetime. And you and I remember the 80s teams and the 90s teams. And the, you know, obviously the team that lost to Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl was an NFL roll call, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. They've been they won September in terms of getting all that momentum as a program. But here's a stat I've been throwing out ahead of Saturday's game. The last two times Clemson and Miami have played, the combined score of those games is 96 to 3. So we're going to find out if the U is back one way or the other. And I mean, they get blown out again, it'll be the same old story. Yeah, I agree 150%. Now let's get to something that's like, uh, been a burr under a lot of Ohio State fans' uh, saddle. Um, the fact that uh, Ohio State is, was number two in both preseason polls in, uh, back in August, and uh, since uh, the Big Ten announced it's coming back and going to start playing October the 24th, uh, the polls have agreed you know, to uh, invite them back in for consideration, yet there are some guys who aren't even voting for Big Ten teams right now even though they were voting for SEC teams before SEC teams started playing again, if you remember correctly. Uh, uh, really, I think it's just something for us to argue about at this point. But uh, what's your take on that? I mean, uh, uh, you know, Ohio State has not played a game yet. It's ranked number six, I think, in the country again this week. Uh, but what's your take on whether they should be considered sort of like they were back in August or, hey, just wait? Yeah, I mean, wait, because they haven't played. And out of sight, out of mind is kind of the deal right now with some of those teams. I mean, who else is ranked in the Big Ten? Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan. Minnesota yeah. jumped into the pool this week despite not yeah. playing. So, I mean, this, yeah. these things are happening and with the pool. I think Ohio State, the second they play, the next day, that would be October 25th or 26th, they're going to be ranked number two or number three, depending on if Alabama loses to Georgia. Um, they are in that class, though. Now, and I guess the big question from a national picture, if you're looking at it. So I mentioned Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State's in that class. To me, the question is, does Oregon belong in that class when the Pac-12 gets rolling in November? Uh, the Big 12's misfortune is Oregon's opening to me. You know, that's a team that didn't get to play Ohio State this year, has a good defense, and we'll see if they got it. I agree 100%. Uh, we've seen one – um, conference kind of fall off the map. Although, like you said, Oklahoma State's going to get some run uh, as this thing goes on, if it can keep its act together. Uh, but, yes, uh, everybody was laughing about the fact that the uh, Pac-12 announced it's going to come back, but not until November the 7th. <laughs> you know, wow. Uh, but uh, if they can get five or six games under their belt in this crazy, wacky uh, season, uh, I think Oregon, if it can run the table – as a great shot at being in college football playoff. I really do believe that now. I wouldn't have told you that. Uh, too, I wouldn't have told you that even last week. But now with Oklahoma definitely showing its uh, its frailties, again, on defense, Alex Grinch, man, I'm boy, that staff meeting had to be held, don't you think? I mean, 
as nice a guy as Lincoln Riley seems, uh, wow, you know, just make a stop here and there, and boom, you've got that game under control. But then the same thing with uh, Spencer Rattler. But I'm, I'm digressing from my original point. Yeah, I do believe that if you can get the six games, because I keep pointing out to people, the SEC hasn't played 10 games like they proposed yet. I mean, there are going to be games that are going to get postponed or canceled in the SEC and elsewhere in college football. I think six may be the sweet spot. Seven, I think, definitely gets you consideration. Just what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, big question with the Big Ten, with not having a margin for error in the schedule. I mean, somebody asked me this morning, would a 4-0 Ohio State team be considered for the playoff? And I'm like, I, I hope we don't have three weeks of cancellations because we've, we've waited this long for it. Um, yeah. I think six games legitimizes a season. Or, I mean, that's my personal opinion. Other teams might look at it this way. But the Pac-12 and the Big Ten champion face the pressure of, to me, because the SEC is going to try to wiggle in a second team. Here's a classic example. So let's say Ohio State finds a way to lose a game, wins the Big Ten championship. Florida goes 10-0, and loses to Alabama in like a 1-2 game. Does Florida have a case over Ohio State? That question will get asked. I don't know if the – I think the answer would probably be no – but if they play three more games through the crossover schedule, you know the SEC fan bases are going to rile that question up. They're going to want two in the playoff. Oh, yeah. And um, I think there's some level of pressure on an Ohio State or an Oregon to go undefeated as a result. Oh, yeah. I, I Based on the scenario you just laid out, which I've been thinking about a lot, I think both Oregon and Ohio State, those end up being the two teams – from those leagues that really run the table, have got to run the table because the interesting dynamic that's gone on in the this year is it sure looks like the balance of power in the SEC is is in the East. I mean, you know, when you consider just premier teams, Georgia and Florida are premier teams. Are they better than Ohio State? I don't know. Is Alabama better than Ohio State? Who knows? But they're going to have a you know, they're going to have a case. Now, the, the world's largest uh, cocktail party or get-togethers, whatever you want to call it now, uh, will decide some of that. But uh, but that's Georgia, Florida. But uh, it's really interesting how from year to year things change. But, but then in this COVID-19 year, how drastic some of these changes look, right, around the country. I mean, it's uh, – how do you really judge? I mean, there was a – there was a uh, uh, I think a – what do you want to call it? A – an amendment put forth, I think it was by Larry Scott of the Pac-12, was maybe this year, maybe the college football playoffs should consider an 18 field just for one year because of what's gone on with COVID-19. I proposed that four months ago and uh, interconference play and then uh, an 18 field just to give everybody, you know, a little something to hang on to for in this special year that we're looking at. And of course that got shot down by the college football playoff, but uh would an 18 playoff make more sense this year? What do you think, Bill? See, I'm in the camp that it wouldn't because I, I just want to get it in. You know, I think we got to get – you do the four teams. It, college football, inevitably, when you have five conferences trying, trying to squeeze it into four chairs and not to mention yeah. a group of five school like a Cincinnati or as you saw, you and I both saw over the weekend, the only 4-0 team in the FBS right now is the Pony Express down at SMU, right? I so, retweeted uh, your tweet. I retweeted uh, your tweet because uh, good times are back. Good times are back since the Pony Express. Go ahead now. It's my contention that SMU, personal 
you know, teams aside, SMU has the best uniforms in college football. I love yeah. that pony on the side, the red, white, and blue. Um, you know, it's one of those things I've always enjoyed watching them and the Pony Express legends, of course. So, but I digress as well. I, I think, um, but to me, four makes sense because you're already, the season has been impacted by COVID enough. I think you get into a situation where one, you're going to be competing with the NFL playoffs. And we've seen that again through all these sports going on, Tim, the NFL is still king. It yeah. is. And then yeah. that's reality. And then once you go to eight this year in a special circumstance, what are they going to want next year? They're going yeah. to want us to stay at eight. So I think oh, you yeah. have to be careful with that. I think a salesman would call that a foot in the door. I think so. The salesman right. would call that, you know, right. here's the thing though. This is the last thing I want to talk to you about the, um, College football playoff folks, uh, Bill Hancock and those folks, have so far appeared to be unyielding, uh, if that's the correct term. It seems like the only thing that's etched in stone is the college football playoff semifinals will be played when scheduled, which is January the 1. They have pushed back the selection date to the 20th. Uh, Should everybody be malleable in this season, Bill? What, what in a bull? Huh? Malleable. Malleable, meaning you can be, you know, uh, malleable means you can take uh, metal and then you can shape it into the shape that you need it to be. <laughs> I, I, I'm learning something every day. I, I thought that meant something with a hammer. Um, it is. It does you know, mean something uh, with a hammer. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the postseason is going to be interesting. I mean, to me, the thought of a Rose Bowl semifinal with Ohio State, let's say it's Ohio State and Oregon. Um, Without fans, that hurts. Without the Rose Bowl parade, that hurts. But I think, you know, everybody's had to make sacrifices to make that happen. I did our bull projections this week, and I always joke that they're 100% accurate because they're probably 0% accurate. I mean, we have no idea. You could have losing teams in bull games. You could have two teams from the same conference playing in bull games. I still think a handful of them will probably get canceled like the Bahamas bull and the um, Hawaii bull last week because of travel considerations. So all of that's in play. Um, I do think we're going to get a college football playoff. I think it'll be four teams. I think there'll be some zaniness along the way. Mike Leach got us off to a good start there, but at the end of the road, I still see that Clemson, Alabama, Ohio state, Oregon, maybe a second sec team, maybe Florida or Georgia. And, uh, they have the depth and the um, to withstand this. We were saying Alabama didn't look great. Clemson fans probably felt the same way Saturday, and those teams are still winning by so much because they have so much more talent, and that falls into that stars matter argument I hear see on Twitter every once in a while. I, I'm in that camp. You have enough four- and five-star talent accumulated. You're going to beat the other teams. Yeah, eventually talent prevails. I do believe that 100%. With that in mind, last thing, uh, Lane Kiffin is – I don't know if he's been – eager to get to this game this coming week or dreading it, but uh, does he have something in your mind, schematically, et cetera, that could mess with Nick Saban and Alabama on Saturday? I think so, but they won't win. But I, I keep going back to that game when he was at Tennessee and they played this real nail-biter. Uh, Sean Cody yeah. blocked a field goal. And that would have been a defining victory at Tennessee for Lane Kiffin as short as his career was. I do, but on the other end, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, just watching Alabama's offense, Mac Jones, as crazy as this is going to sound, right? Because Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa were great players, Heisman contenders, everything. Mac Jones might actually fit that offense better. He's not a better player. 
not a better playmaker, but he fits what they try to do because it's get the yeah. ball to Najee Harris. It's get the ball to those three receivers who probably win a couple four by 100 relays if they, they went out and did that at the college level. They're all fast. Um, yeah. And he does it. His seven-game sample as a starter is pretty darn good. So, uh, yeah, that, I think they're going to end up winning. Um, it'll be interesting to see what does and what wrinkles he puts in because he does know Saban well, but I don't think it'll be enough because we'll miss the defense pretty bad. Yeah. Hey, one last thing, one last parting shot. You know, I grew up in Alabama and then Texas, 11 years in each one. And I know what football means in the state of Texas. And when you see Texas A&M getting um, whacked, bushwhacked uh, again by Alabama, I was at the Alabama-Texas A&M game a year ago in College Station. It was one of the off weeks of Ohio State season. Me and my buddy Jeff Snook went down there and took in that game. And that second half was a lot like the second half we saw Saturday in Tuscaloosa. And then, uh, and then you see Texas getting beat. And like we said, uh, Tom Herman on the hot seat. And really what was lacking in both of those games uh, was defense from both of those parties. And I'm telling you, there is no better – there may be as good, but there is no better high school football in the nation than the state of Texas. And to see the state of the two best – of the two biggest programs in the state of Texas, the state that they're in right now um, – euphemistically speaking, is interesting to me. There, there have got to be some people, even at Texas A&M, who are maybe questioning the Jimbo Fisher uh, contract, et cetera. What, what's your take on that? Well, I, I think, you know, you got Berm there at Letterman Row, and he can speak to the recruiting part. But I remember a couple of years ago, Ohio State raided Texas for some really good players right? Browning, Garrett yeah. Wilson. I'm, I'm leaving out uh, J.K. Dobbins, obviously. Dobbins. Yeah. And, when, yeah. and part of that is the success that they've had. Now, recruiting in Texas has changed a little bit. I think Texas and Texas A&M, I pay enough attention to the rankings that they're getting top 10 classes. So what is it now? Is it the quarterback? Is it the, I think it comes down to the style of play in the state in general, where when you watch a Texas Tech Texas game, and I'm watching it, I'm like, why are those guys lined off lined up 15 yards off the ball? Why aren't they being more aggressive on defense? Where are the playmakers on that side of the ball? High yes. State has that. They have the defensive line because I mean, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. The thing that they share that you see year in and year out is depth on the defensive line, um, depth getting to the quarterback, turnovers, and Ohio State obviously develops corners better than anybody. Um, they don't have that at either school. I can't remember the last Texas defensive. Texas A&M, obviously, Miles Garrett was really good. Who's the last Texas defensive player that you were like, that guy was awesome? In the NFL, I think, is it Earl Thomas? Yeah, might be. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting there. I'm picking my brain right now as you, as you talk. I mean, I remember those mid, mid-2000 teams had some pretty good players. I mean, uh, on the defensive front. Who was that kid, the big defensive end, uh, great player, uh, the Ohio State uh, – had trouble with one year, but then handled him the next year. <clears throat> but, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Urban Meyer talked about has talked about this a couple of times. Is there's really almost no excuse <laughs> for them uh, to be as bad as they are defensively uh, when you when you are in the great state of Texas. But you touched on something there, man. If you go to ever go to a Texas high school football game uh, anymore, I mean, like I said, I grew up in Lufkin. Everybody runs a spread. The games last three and a half hours, and that's without TV timeouts. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, you're kind of a product 
of uh, where you come from, like you're pointing out. And, uh, and it, you know, with Ohio State going in there and cherry picking a few guys like Jeffrey Okuda and Baron Browning and, and some of the guys, you know, uh, J.K. Dobbins, some of the guys they've gotten out of there of great repute, you're not trying to build a whole team with players from there if you follow my drift. You're still getting most of your defensive front talent and stuff elsewhere in the deep south, in the east, and even in the Midwest territory. So I think you're onto something there about maybe that's where that's where they're lacking. Of course, we know Oklahoma, bread and butter recruiting, is a great state of Texas, or just known in Oklahoma, Baja, Oklahoma. But uh, but yeah, I think you're definitely onto something. And sometimes even coaching can't make up for some shortcomings. Right, and, and you know Ohio State, they have that talent on the side. And, um, Clemson, obviously, some of the freshman difference makers they have now, and, yeah. and you're seeing it. And it just that it's at a so I think it does come down to style points in some ways with the Big Twelve. We how many times can you watch? I would say how many times can you watch the same movie and not be surprised? I mean, this is two years in a row where Oklahoma's lost to Kansas State. They've struggled against Iowa State, Texas, two years in a row against TCU. And it takes some shine off of what a, you know, I've been fortunate to cover that game before. The Red River rivalry is a ton of fun to cover. It's going to yes. be different without fans. But this year in particular, it's not going to matter much in terms of the college football playoff race. No, it's like it's a consolation game. And then the loser, oh my goodness the heat is going to come down. I mean, it's going to be crazy. I got to cover three of those in a row back in the early 70s, man, when they were both running the wishbone. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I mean, those games got over in like two hours and 20 minutes, Bill. It was paradise in all kinds of ways. But uh, but I digress. Hey, last thing before we go, uh, let you go. <clears throat> the air raid got shot down on Saturday. Um, you know, you beat the defending national champion one week and you get beat by a team that most people figure is still – very much in the rebuilding stage. I'm talking about Mississippi State. Uh, uh, how long is the air raid going to last in the Southeastern Conference? I thought you were talking about my flag football team that, that I'm coaching this year. We fell, we were, we're falling on hard times, having a little bit of trouble putting the ball in the end zone, but my kids are great and it's a lot of fun, you know, they're fifth graders. Yeah. So I'll forgive them. You know, they, they do, they're a great bunch, but um, Mike Leach, that's just part of the Mike Leach experience. One week you're going to beat somebody you shouldn't. The next week you're going to lose to somebody you shouldn't. He's been doing this since 2000 in places like Lubbock, Texas, which I'm sure you've been there. I've never been. Pullman, yeah. Washington, and now Stark, Vegas, Mississippi. Um, this is life. And I think one of the challenges I, I said, you know, sure, you can throw 60 passes in 60 minutes and make it hard for defensive coordinators, but the challenge for Mississippi State is going to be doing that every week. Yes. The top school waiting next week and then you're playing Florida then you're playing Bama then you're playing you know um, Auburn and none of those games are easy and that's what Alabama for all the criticisms of Nick Saban the truly remarkable part of what he's done there is they've been able to be that hammer I was talking about at the top for all those years it's the same thing with Ohio State and Clemson you write you write the same column so many times and it's because they do this they have that model borderline perfected in those three places yeah, and, and, and the bottom line is what you're not saying is also Alabama <clears throat> defensively can just put athlete on athlete, you know, yeah. and then attack you with their front seven in any form or fashion uh, in those kind of games like you're talking about. I mean, that's when the talent gets evened up. I'm talking about from the in the in the skill positions. It's tough for the air raid offense, you know, and uh, that wasn't necessarily always the case everywhere, uh, everywhere. Uh, 
that Mike Leach has been. But uh, like you said, to crack into the top realm of the SEC, it's going to take more than X's and O's. It's going to take Jimmy's and Joe's. Absolutely. And I know you agree with that 100%. But, uh, Bill, thanks for coming back on the Tim A podcast, man. You're one of – you know, you're you're right right up there in my in my elite hammer uh, region of guests, man. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, and uh, you know, to your listeners, thanks for you know check us out at Sporting News too, and uh, we'll be reading you guys, and hopefully, we we'll catch up with you down the line. Appreciate it, Tim. Yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen, that's, uh, that's Bill Bender, one of the more talented people out there, and uh, if you want to keep up with college football, definitely follow him at SportingNews.com. Bill, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you. Yeah, Bill Bender has got insight. Uh, that's what I like about Bill Bender, and uh, I know you're friends with him too, right, Boston? Yeah, it's it's hard not to be one of the uh, most outgoing guys in this profession. You know, so a lot of those there are many <clears throat> national writers who, uh, you know, just act sometimes like they're above it all. Uh, I'm not here to name any names. I'm just saying that Bill Bender is not one of those guys. He's one of one of the nicest that you'll find around. Loves loves football. Works extremely hard. A lot of weekends, I remember, you know, seeing him in an Ohio State press box, and then he would be in an NFL game the next day. Yeah, uh, that for me, that's too much. Uh, one one game day uh, and one day of recovery is what I need. Almost like I played in the game. I'm exhausted. I need that day off to to just sit on the couch and watch NFL. And he goes, you know, right back out there, travels and works. And uh, I've always had a ton of respect for Bill. You know, early in my years at the Columbus Dispatch, back in the late '70s, uh, early '80s, uh, I. I covered, I was responsible for all the small, all the colleges in Ohio, except Ohio State, covering them. Mm. And I was responsible, I was covering the Browns and the Bengals and cover their home games. And if one of them got hot at the end of the year, which back then, by the way, they did, uh, they took turns doing it. But uh, because, you know, the Bengals went to the Super Bowl and I was there at the mistake on the lake and all that stuff. And then I would also occasionally cover, still cover a high school game on Friday night. So, and one of my, uh, one of my big parlays one time was I covered a Thursday, I think it was a Thursday night, no, it was a Friday night football high school game. I covered a Saturday college game, and it wasn't, it actually wasn't uh, an Ohio game. It was uh, Pitt and uh, Penn State, back before Penn State joined the league. And uh, and then I covered a uh, Cleveland Browns game on Sunday, and I covered a Monday night football game, The I think it was the Bengals and the Houston Oilers on Monday night. And to me, that was hog heaven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these days, I can't wrap my, wrap my my mind around doing that, except uh, you did see me at the open practice on uh, Saturday after I'd covered yeah. the uh, IndyCar race on Friday <laughs> in Indianapolis and then got back to Indianapolis in time to cover the second of the Harvest Grand Prix. Um, I, I, I think my candle's running a little bit out of whack, so because at the end of that day, I was – pretty tuckered out but you know if you love football which I do you know I just like going to the games and then occasionally writing you know not occasionally but writing stories about it and that's what Bill does you know Bill does that for a living and he totally enjoys it and he's got great insight and as we just heard but let's just get let's just get on with it here uh that open practice we got to watch on Saturday I'm not sure how eye-opening it was uh from the standpoint of who was in what position uh, except for the fact the way they ran the quarterbacks a little bit, the way they ran the running backs a little bit. But uh, just as, as you had a chance to think about it over the weekend, what stood out to you? What jumped out at you about that open practice? Don't say Julian Fleming because that was mine, remember? Yeah, the uh, it's hard not to talk about those wide receivers. They're just so yeah. physically impressive. I, I will like I will temper it a little bit. We've seen this 
before where it's still so early. We didn't see them going 11 on 11 um, to, to assume that they could be, uh, you know, ready to go for week one or week two is still, it's still a big ask. Uh, and I, I think the best caution in my mind in that regard is that we know that it took Garrett Wilson was on the, the speedy curve and it still took a month, five or six games before Ohio state was really ready for him to be a go-to guy. Um, so yeah, they caught the eye, but I think that that was, you know, just seeing Garrett Wilson next to them as a reminder of how much difference there can be between year one and year two, or, you know, week one of practice and week seven or eight. Um, yeah. that's, that's a big deal. I think that, um, you know, defensive tackle, we've talked about it. If there's a spot where, um, the depth is not where it is at every other unit on the Ohio state roster, that's, that's maybe becoming a spot of, of bother that I think needs to be watched in the coming weeks. You know, Haskell Garrett was there, uh, out there after being shot in the face when, you know, about a month ago, we didn't know exactly how long it would take for him to recover and be out there. They, they, you know, they frankly need him to be healthy and contributing to that, uh, defensive tackle rotation. We know what Tommy Togia can provide. We've, we've seen Jaron Cage out there during practice. Antoine Jackson has had a couple years now to really – he hasn't been fully healthy uh, development and it wasn't coming along right as at, at the rate that might have been expected by Larry Johnson initially. They need those guys to really step forward because, um, you know, we don't know the severity. And to Ron Vincent, when the, when the season was canceled, was walking out of the woody in a sling. Uh, we, did, we still right. don't know the, the severity of that arm injury, which is, again, a carryover from last year with a shoulder that knocked him out for the entire year. They've been waiting for this guy, the number one defensive tackle in the country a couple of years ago, five-star prospect. You know, those are names that we know. Those are going to be some really strong players, but it's hard to – to. it was left on Saturday without even seeing, you know, full-scale, in-the-trenches, head-to-head banging. I think that, that that unit is maybe more uncertain than I would have expected it to be. Yeah, I, I'm uh... – that's a that's a concern. I mean, you know, and the thing like uh, Jeremy uh, Birmingham talked about uh, while we were talking, while we were discussing it on Saturday right outside the stadium. You know, uh, I remember I did this story one time with uh, Joey Bosa. I told Joey, you know, if he wanted to, he could have been the best three technique in college football if right. he had decided to do that. You know, because he just had the build for it. He had that lower body, which I've I've always thought what's what's what stands out about the Boses, what sets them apart is just to strengthen their legs, et cetera, and their ability to just drive on somebody. And uh, I think he could have been a great three technique if he hadn't been such a ridiculously great uh, defensive <laughs> end. And they did run, obviously, you know, as you know, they did run him inside quite a few times uh, uh, when they wanted to run that Wall Street uh, attack unit and things. And uh, he was very effective from in there when you got him one-on-one with a guard, <laughs> you know, Poor guard yeah. pulled, Good luck pulled to the you. short straw. That, pulled the short, that guard pulled the short straw on that play or plays. <laughs> but uh, uh, but they don't really have that kind of body, that kind of guy. You know, these lean and mean dudes they've got on the edges don't really fit that bill right. Like, you know, it's hard to hard to imagine, for example, Zach Harrison moving inside. Uh, I don't see it at all. And, and But right on down the line, they have very few of those guys, right? Yeah, I mean – Darian Henry Young would be one. He yeah, he's a guy who wants to play on the edge, but he he's probably better suited to wind up in that three technique role. Which, by the way, if Larry Johnson tells you that he wants you to play three technique, it is a massive compliment. It is not a downgrade uh, at all. He that's Correct. 
that's the position that he really, you know, if you sit down and say, well, what's the key to the success of your group? Well, it helps to have great defensive ends, but he views a, a, a pass rushing three technique who can also stop the run. That is the prize, you know, possession for him when he's building this. So if he's asking you to play there, uh, it's because he thinks you can really help Ohio State. Uh, and also, you know, as Jay Sean Cornell found out, you can also parlay that uh, into a, being drafted when people had forgot about you maybe otherwise at defensive end. I'm not saying that that would be – I mean, Darion Henry, this is early in his career, and they need some help. You can always go in or out. You know, Adolphus Washington, I think he had to do that probably six, six or seven times between yeah. those two spots. But, um, you know, that's, that's just a role that I think – I'm going to be interested to see how it plays out because, you know, Teron Vincent was somebody that I thought uh, could thrive there. I still think, and Berm, you know, questioned this a little bit with Tyler Friday, that he's not quite as big as some of these other guys who've played there. I I just look at Tyler Friday as one of the stouter, you know, guys that play at defensive end. Um, And maybe, you know, they're too – maybe he wouldn't be the ideal guy to get to 285 or 290. Uh, You're not going to do it in a couple weeks' time frame, but – you know, you don't. I don't know that you necessarily have to be that uh, to play in that spot, especially if you're still going to be winding up with a lot of one-on-one matchups. If if Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith or Jonathan Cooper are outside commanding attention, um, you know that's obviously going to help. But I, I think it. I didn't expect that we'd be talking for this week's show, Tim, about you know huh. the defensive line and, and that that spot. But really, when you look across the board, and especially the other spot that it comes up so often, running back. Hey, Master Teague was the first guy through the line. Trey Sermon was right there behind him. Both of those right. guys looked extremely healthy and dangerous. Uh, Steel Chambers, even Marcus Crowley, were, which he may not be ready for the season, was still taking part in those individual drills. That running back position is going to be fine. I don't know why anyone uh, would have any doubts about that unit. So, you know, I'm looking for somewhere where there could be questions that we could ask, and I, I, I think it's in the middle of the defensive line. Well, here's the thing. Uh, the reason I brought it up is there's going to come a time, like we talked about on Saturday, and I'll bring it back up again now. There's going to come a time when somebody's going to try to attack you in the A and B gaps. I mean, they're going to try to own that land, you know, and uh, uh, they're going to double team uh, whoever's in there. And, you know, we all know last year when Nebraska was still in that game at Nebraska, when suddenly jumped into the uh, uh, blast from the past, and it was a blast from the past, that I formation. Yeah. Uh, caught Ohio State totally off guard, and they moved the ball down the field. And uh, and but Ohio State, you know, ends up with a big uh, turnover there with Jeffrey Okuda with that interception laying on his back, and and then they turn that into a touchdown later down the road. And and suddenly uh, Nebraska couldn't do what its plan was, which was to keep try to keep the Ohio State defense befuddled all night, uh, jumping into things. And uh, you know, you saw how that crowd reacted when they jumped into it. My point being. Uh, <laughs> There's going to be there's going to be somebody who's going to attack you where you where they perceive you to be your weakest, and yeah. uh, and by weakest I don't mean there's like uh, you know uh, uh, weaklings in there playing at the at the at the nose and three technique for Ohio State not that at all but uh, the depth there is not what it has been you know Tommy Togiao was used as a uh, relief uh, relief pitcher last year not uh, not the starting pitcher. Now he's got to maybe go. He's got to go longer and harder, maybe than even the starting pitchers did a year ago. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I'm. You don't have a BB Landers that I can see who's just going to come streaming, in, screaming in there and just give you four or five plays of like hair on fire uh, attack. You know, yeah. maybe 
maybe somebody will end up being that guy. Maybe it'll be Tyler Friday. Maybe it'll be somebody like that. But uh, that is a concern as you look at this team because, you know, and I study this team probably as much as anyone, and you're always – it's not what you've got, it's what you don't have that starts to kind of glare as uh, preseason practices uh, wind down, agreed? Yeah, and, and look, obviously we're, we're nitpicking here because yes. this team is so talented, but – but you're right. I mean, if, if you're going in, Nebraska and Penn State have extra time, really. I mean, maybe not Penn State as much, but to some extent, they're still going to have a lot of stuff that they haven't shown coming out of their week one, which is not a, a walk in the park, but we can get to that in a couple of weeks. But, yeah. uh, you know, they're, both of those teams are capable either schematically for Nebraska because the talent is not the same. We've seen that, as you alluded to already, or personnel-wise for Penn State. Both of them are capable of trying to attack there in the middle. Now, I still don't – that doesn't mean that I think it's going to be easy to run the football on Ohio State because it almost never is. And especially now that you have this uh, vaunted linebacker group that can do anything to try and help, uh, you know, that Al Washington or Greg Madison can possibly dream of. Uh, and, and we've talked about that, you know, coming out of those their press conference last week, what, what they're going to do with Pete Warner, what they're going to do with Baron Browning, how Justin Hilliard and Tuff Orland fit in then how you go in the next wave with Taraji Mitchell and Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope. You know, those guys are probably going to play a much more important role in helping, you know, those defensive tackles because let's just let's just say that Antoine Jackson is, is in there with Tommy Togi. You know, those guys don't have necessarily the same – we haven't seen it yet anyway – the ability to penetrate like Devon Hamilton. They could become that. But maybe this is a situation where they, they're helping just more occupy space and allowing – you know, those linebackers to fire and help in the run game in the middle. I, I don't know. I, that's why Al Washington and Greg Madison make the amount of money that they do. But Well, let me interrupt you. But that, yeah. that's the reason – that's one of the reasons those guys looked so much better last year. I'm talking about the linebacker group right. compared to the year before is they didn't have guys in their face all the time, uh, you know, blocking on them. I mean, any linebacker group is going to – I don't care what the makeup is. could have been the steel curtain. You know, if you hadn't had Mean Joe Green up front, you know, what would that steel curtain have looked like? It might have had some shreds in it. Uh, that's the, the thing. You, you know, you want to keep the, the guards – you want to occupy the guards and uh, the center from coming out into that second level and getting in front of, like, you know, Tuff Borland or uh, Baron Browning or, uh, or Pete Warner. You, you, you know, that's part, part and parcel of playing defense. And you're, but but the, the way – there's two ways you can do that. You can either occupy two guys, like you just pointed out, or, as you just pointed out, Devon Hamilton can be getting up field so fast, you've got to worry about him. Right. You can't – you've got to worry about the front – the first line before you get to the second level. And uh, that's where I thought Devon Hamilton and Jayshon Cornell especially uh, especially stood out last year in helping reshape the dynamic of that defense. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I've spent you know, a lot of time in the offseason, you know, you and I both have. We've talked about this and we've written about it that um, – perhaps the most notable players that Ohio State has to replace, which this is crazy to say out loud when you're talking about Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett and Jordan Fuller, but the two, arguably the two most important players that Ohio State must replace are Devon Hamilton and Jay Sean Cornell. Like that's – it's a reflection of the depth elsewhere because we know that there's cornerbacks coming with Sean Wade and Cameron Brown and Seven Banks, and we know that the secondary is going to be fine. Josh Proctor, we've talked about him at safety. We know I've already mentioned, you know, Jonathan Cooper, Tyreek Smith, and Zach Harrison for the Chase Young situation. You know, we could go, you know, the same, situ- the same is true 
uh, with Brandon Bowen gone at right tackle and uh, Jonah Jackson at guard. They're guys that are ready to step in. But, you know, Tommy Togi, I know he's ready to step in. I know he's going to be good. But Larry Johnson doesn't want anybody on his unit playing 50, 60 snaps. And, right. he, and he's head and shoulders, uh, you know, the guy that the most expectations will be on. So he, he needs others to step up. And I'm not saying that Ohio State doesn't have that. But they're, they're, in, in, they're unproven and inexperienced. And I think that they're going to be needed to step up very, very quickly in those first two weeks. You know, this is going to be a secretive, almost a preseason. It's not a camp, you know, you know like we talk about. It's preseason <laughs> practices. Yeah. Uh, it, this is going to be as, as secretive a preseason practice uh, spate as I've ever covered at Ohio State. I was just thinking about this the other day when I was driving back from Indy. Uh, I'm just going, that may be the last time we get to see these guys until they play a game. And uh, – we might get to go in and see them stretch a little bit. And, of course, you know, and, and be in fairness and reporting act, we didn't really get to see them play much football the other day. <laughs> Agreed. And uh, so, you know, but the reason I am high on this team, uh, the main reason I'm high on this team is I think it's going to have, as I said to Justin Fields, I worded it in a question, but I think it has a chance to be the most prolific offense that Ohio State's ever had, even though they're only going to play eight, maybe nine games in the regular season. I'm just talking about – perhaps yards per yards per play or yards per game right. average. Uh, it has a chance to be that because one of the main reasons I believe that is because of the offensive line. I mean, the trenches are where great teams hold sway. And uh, that's where Ohio State has a, in my opinion, a clear advantage in almost every game it's going to play this year. Uh, in my opinion, I thought they had a great advantage a great advantage against Clemson. I mean, there were some plays that Clemson's individual great players made from the front seven of their defense, but I thought the offensive line played pretty well that night. And when you have the root of that back, which they do three starters plus two five-stars, there's going to be two two new five-star starters no matter who they pick at right tackle, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty interesting, right? Harry yeah. Miller and whomever at right tackle, uh, Nicholas Petit-Freer or Paris Johnson, you know, or who knows? Dewan Jones, although you and I both are convinced now, Dewan Jones is being looked at more for depth in that guard spot. And uh, so, but that's, that just enhances the front five as far as I'm concerned. But that's why you and I are, are sitting here nitpicking about the defensive front, because for several years now, uh, questions about that front four have not really been super serious. It's just <laughs> who was stepping up. Uh, right? Agreed? Yeah. I mean, Devon Hamilton was a much better player his last year than he was his first year. Agreed on that. Much bigger guy. Right. And uh, that's the only place really we have questions because, like I said, after the practice the other day, Julian Fleming at wide receiver, that's a freshman. Are you kidding me? Uh, right on down the line, uh, maybe this maybe this team has the capability to do what I've always said they do about NFL teams. When they build NFL teams, uh, there's two ways you can do it. You can either build a great defense and uh, have a pretty good offense, or you can build a great offense and have key players at certain spots on defense, which will allow you, once your offense gets you that two-touchdown lead, to hang on to it. Because <laughs> you have a great, great pass rusher, a great linebacker, and a great safety, and maybe a great corner. Uh, but m a lot of the cap money is on the other side of the ball, you know? And uh, that's the way you build uh, NFL teams these days. And it's kind of like you know, it looks like Ohio State a little bit. But I think Ohio State, like you said, the talent they've got in the defensive secondary is obvious to anybody. It's obvious also how green it is in some spots. Uh, 
linebackers you couldn't have, as I wrote about for us uh, this week on LettermanRoad.com, you couldn't have more experience at the linebacker spots in this modern era of NF, of NF flea, uh, which is three and flea. Uh, you couldn't have more experience than they've got there. That's, that's critical. And, uh, and the d- defensive ends, I think they're going to be fine. But, you know, yeah, we honed in on the bullseye because I think some teams will hone in on that bullseye. Yeah, I remember some of those old, you know, great Peyton Manning teams with the Colts. And people say, oh, all you have to do is, is be able to get into a, you know, a, a low-scoring game because they can't stop the run. Well, yeah. that was easier said than done when you had Peyton Manning and, and all those, you know, targets that he had and, you know, great, great show on turf, not the greatest. Uh, the Rams took that one. But, you know, they were built to, you know, try and get interceptions, strip sacks, you know, create pressure against a passing attack because they yep. figured that you weren't going to be able to run long enough to stay in a game with them. You know, I, I don't – that will certainly be the case – you will not be able to solely run against Ohio State and maintain, uh, you know, match them score for score. That simply won't work when Justin Fields has that offensive line, those tailbacks, you know, right. seven, eight, eight really athletic wide receivers, and those tight ends. Like, as we continue to work down the list of targets, those guys can create problems all by themselves as well. When you look at Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert, um, even Jake Hausman, I know that Kevin Wilson has talked about him playing, that he's this is the best – that he's looked, he's still got complete confidence to go with all three of those guys. So um, good luck to you. If you want to, if you want to try and ground and pound, I don't think it's going to work against Ohio state's offense. Yeah. I mean, you know, from your words to my ear, from your mouth to my ears, that's exactly the way I'm uh, looking at it. And uh, you know, the first, uh, you first really pointed that out to me about the way NFL teams build their rosters. Cause they, they hadn't, I hadn't really, and as soon as he pointed that to me, I thought about all the examples that were out there. But it was Mel Tucker. After he'd been in the league uh, for a couple of years, he and I met somewhere and we were just shooting the bull. And, and I had never thought about it in those terms of how you build – you can build a defense to play with the lead, you know. And uh, like he pointed out, Bob Sanders, for example, at Indianapolis, one of the great safeties ever played the game originally, what, from Iowa. And uh, just uh, the uh, great deep rush defensive end they had there then. And, and, and they had a couple Freeney, of – Dwight Freeney and was around Mathis and like exactly just and that's and and the whole key there is put pressure on the quarterback make him get rid of the ball etc and the great thing about the Peyton Manning teams too the way they were constructed offensively he did they didn't just score but they ate clock you know and uh put even more uh pressure on on the other team once it got the ball to do something other than just maybe what it had planned so you know now, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves maybe with that because we'll yeah. see. I think this Ohio State defense, to be honest with you, is going to be quite fine. But we're waiting. But you and I, and this is the great joy of covering Ohio State now from year to year, as I've called it, they have these rising players. You know, we get excited about two things usually, who they've got coming back from a starter and who they just signed. But Ohio State, this great uh, depth of this program, is they always have rising uh, – journeyman for one of another term on this roster guys who have stuck around like I pointed out in that linebacker story you know Taraja Mitchell Kevon Pope uh, Dallas Gantt guys who have stuck around waiting for their shot their chance to play and it's throughout this roster you see those fellas and suddenly that second or third or fourth year they get a chance to blossom and most of them do and that's what sets an Ohio State a Clemson and an Alabama in this age apart from any other program. Agreed? Yeah. And I think when we're just to 
to put a bow on that. Maybe that's what will happen for Antoine Jackson or Jerron Cage. They're a defensive tackle. Right. If you spend that much time around Larry Johnson, you're going to get pretty good at something. Like, that's why I say it's, the, it's not that I don't think that Ohio State can be back to that normal level of defensive tackle. It's just that's a place where Larry Johnson has to earn his money with the development to get them ready because they're not guys who've had – even Tommy Togia has not had extensive playing time. We know that you know, he's, he's played a number of snaps. He's had – I think he's got six career tackles for loss at this point, and everybody knows that he can do it. But, you know, you still don't, you still don't see it. You have to go out and prove it as a starter before anyone can just, you know, we talk about it the other way with them being first round draft picks or whatever that get us excited in the off season. This is just a, uh, a unit that doesn't have that and they can become yeah. it. But that's why we say that that's, that's the spot where there's a question. Uh, not that it doesn't have a, 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 an answer that can come down the road. Yeah. And they don't necessarily have to be first round draft picks in my mind. I mean, one of the memorable plays of, of a, of a night filled with them for Ohio state fans was when Steve Miller backed off the line, had that interception, <laughs> returned it for a touchdown against Alabama in that 2014 college football playoff semifinal. You know, and Steve Miller, you know, he was a journeyman who finally had a chance to play a lot that season and definitely uh, stood up and, and made plays and none bigger than that one. And that's what they're looking for. Like an Antoine Jackson, Antoine Jackson was a high four, maybe low five-star player that a lot of people wanted way back when. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to play up to that uh, capability. You know, as we know, he went to, what, uh, Auburn and then changed his mind and, and uh, matriculated to Ohio State. And we all thought that was a great get by Ohio State. I mean, he played a little bit last year and played pretty well, but you want to see him finally maybe live up to that billing, right? Absolutely. And like I said, I mean, Larry Johnson missed on him the first time, didn't he capitalized on that second recruitment? and. This isn't even a normal transfer situation. This will be Antoine Jackson's third year in the program. He's still got most of the experience, uh, at least in that, that Rushman room, the, the Larry Johnson experience of being coached and developed. And he hasn't been fully healthy. That's been part of the reason, you know, right when he got here, I think, uh, you know, two years ago, trying to ju- – I think it was a foot injury that he was yeah. dealing with when he arrived. So he, he's had physical setbacks. But, you know, if, you're, if he's healthy – no one has ever questioned – you said he was, you know, high four, low five-star recruit. Nobody – there's never been any doubt that this guy could make an impact uh, at defensive tackle. And you, you pair that athleticism up with good health and Larry Johnson's coaching, you know, you might see some really good things happen. And um, the, the stories that you keep bringing up are for good reason. A lot of schools struggle with the transfers out and guys that don't have the patience. And, and Ohio State now has, has done this a number of times where – Guys that, that wait patiently and develop and may only get one or, or sometimes two years at the end of their career when, when others may have left, and then they really take off and capitalize. Devon Hamilton is a perfect example of that. So is yeah. John Cornell. Um, you know, just if we're going to keep the focus in there, like that happens pretty frequently for Ohio State. And I would say at a clip that's, that's higher than almost anywhere else in the country because guys don't want to leave, and they know that you only need one good season at Ohio State to get drafted and make it to the league that you can accomplish your dreams without having played, I don't know, 700 snaps a season uh, elsewhere for your entire career. Like they have, they have a plan. And most of these guys, 99% of the time you see them buying into it at Ohio state because they know that the reward will be there at the end. Yeah. That's an excellent point. You know, there are very few Dexter Lawrence's out there that can just 
come in and play like an a, be an a gap stuffer. Although I call those guys something else uh, behind the scenes, but an a gap stuffer, <laughs> you know, from the get go on the college level, they, a lot of them have to grow into their jobs. And by the way, a guy like Dexter Lawrence, there are very few of those guys to begin with. As Anywhere. I wrote a story about this a long time ago. That's the most, uh, the, the rarest uh, bird of all is a tremendously big, uh, huge, strong, stout, uh, uh, fire-breathing A-gap stuffer. And uh, they're even, they're even uh, more rare than uh, the big-time quarterbacks if you really look at rosters around the country. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Ohio State has not really had that guy. Devon Hamilton is about as close as they've had in a while. And, uh, and so that guy's not coming around the corner. He's not transferring in in the next couple of weeks, they're going to have to make do with what they've got. And uh, so it'll be interesting to watch. You know, uh, <clears throat> Boston, if we had some music here, this is when the music would start playing <laughs> really lightly in the background, leading me, reminding me that we're coming to the end of yet another Tim May podcast. But, man, you know, I always love having you on, Boston. I know we didn't even get to all the stuff that you wanted to this week, but that just means I, I milked enough time that you have to have me back next week. Well, there's – there's three weeks until the season opens. We got plenty to talk about, you know, and go homina, homina, homina about. But uh, you know what? Until next time, until next week at this time, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks for joining the Tim May Podcast. We'll see you then. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.